The information provided in this podcast episode is for education and entertainment purposes only and is in no way a replacement for a relationship with a licensed mental health professional and should not be considered or used as clinical or professional consultation. With that said, here is a taste of what you will get in today's episode. There are so many black men out there that I personally know who are in their children's lives actively, who provide for their kids often, and who build special father and child bonds frequently with their children. Now keep listening to today's episode because there are some cultural jewels that I am dropping on y'all. And of course, thank you so much for your support. Enjoy the episode. Clara Brown, born approximately 1803 and died in 1885. Clara Brown was a leading pioneer of Colorado. She was a nurse, managed a successful laundry business, and is credited with starting the first Sunday school in her area. She is further credited with the courage of trying to bring law and order to a frontier mining community where prostitution, shootouts, and murders were common. She was born a slave of Gallatin, Tennessee in 1803, but grew up in Kentucky. Later, she married and bore four children. One child died at birth and the rest of the family was separated at a slave auction and were taken by different masters to various parts of the country in 1835. For over 20 years, with the help of her new master, she tried unsuccessfully to find members of her family. In 1857, she contributed $100 towards her own freedom when her master died, and at the age of 55, resumed her search once again. The attraction of the Colorado Gold Rush in 1859 was tremendous. The 59ers, as they were called, had arrived 100,000 strong. Every kind of person imaginable flooded the region. Prospectors, settlers, outlaws, gamblers, confidence men, and prostitutes. Most had come in search of their fortune, but Clara Brown had come for a different reason, in search of her family. After hearing a report that one daughter, Elza, had moved west, Aunt Clara, as she was known, took a job as a cook on a wagon train headed to Colorado. She was the only black of six women on the 600 mile trek, which took eight weeks. Aunt Clara walked most of the way. She settled in Denver for a short while and later went to Central City to find work among the miners. She started a laundry business with boilers and tubs she had brought with her. Aunt Clara turned her home into a refuge for the impoverished pouring into the camp. It served as a hospital for the physically ill a church for those who needed spiritual solace, and a hotel for those with no place to stay. Some gave her a small contribution, but those who could not afford to pay were not turned away. Under her direction, the camp's first Sunday school was founded. 
In making the long trip to Colorado, she had two important resolves in mind, to become financially independent and to use her wealth to find her family. By the end of the Civil War, she had managed to save the tidy sum of $10,000. She made some wise investments in Colorado real estate and left for Virginia and Kentucky in search of her loved ones. When she returned to Central City, she had found 34 members of her family. She also financed the return fares of 16 other freed slaves. Some of the slaves were orphans. Later, she found jobs for them. Unfortunately, she had not found her daughter. In 1882, the unexpected occurred. Aunt Clara received a report that Elza was well and living in Council Bluffs, Iowa. The quest ended. Mother and daughter met in a tearful but happy reunion, which was widely publicized in Midwest newspapers. In 1885, the hardworking, thrifty and compassionate Aunt Clara Brown died in Denver at the age of 82. She left a warm feeling in the hearts of all who knew her. The Colorado Pioneers Association buried her with honors and her friends made sure her unlimited charitable deeds would not be forgotten. A plaque was placed in the State James Methodist Church telling the story of how her home was the birthplace of the first church in the area. Further believing her to be the first black in the city a seat in the city's opera house was named for her. The Colorado Pioneers Association stated in her eulogy that Clara Brown was, quote, the kind of old friend whose heart always responded to the cry of distress and who, rising from the humble position of slave to the angelic type of noble woman, won our sympathy and commanded our respect, end quote. What's up, y'all? I'm coming on real quick to ask you to do me a favor. If you are a listener of my podcast, please make sure to leave a review. I don't care if you've been listening from day one or if this is your first time listening. Go ahead and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to. Because when you leave a review, it helps other people find my podcast, which ultimately is helping more people be culturally aware. So after this episode, take a few seconds to leave a review. I'm thanking you in advance for being part of making cultural change one listen at a time and one review at a time. Alrighty, let's jump into the episode. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of Walk a Day in My Culture. This is a podcast where I help you increase your cultural awareness by talking with you about the daily experiences I have as a Black woman. Now listen, you already know, I believe by you all hearing my experiences, you can hypothetically walk a day in my culture, which will help you to literally walk on the path of increasing your cultural awareness. But not just that, if you happen to be a Black listener, I 
truly believe and trust that by listening to the experiences of my cultural walk, you will feel validated, liberated, and empowered by hearing me, your Black sister, boldly stepping into my full-fledged Blackness and the beauty in that walk. So with all of that said, let's get into today's episode, which is entitled Black Fathers Matter, the introduction episode. So before we dive, dive into it, I have decided to revamp the RIP section because, you know, it's just, it's a little hard. Now, I'm not saying I ain't going to talk about Black folks who have been unrightfully killed, but what I am saying is I'm going to just kind of change the language of this segment. And so I just want to welcome y'all to the segment that is called Welcome to Our World. So this is just going to be a place where I kind of talk about things that are happening in the Black community, whether they are positive, whether they are negative, whether it's a mix of two. It's almost going to be like my own little news segment, so to speak, of the Black issues that are taking place. So this week in Welcome to Our World, I just want to name what happened to Brittany Gilliam, if I'm saying her name correctly, and her family. So if you guys do not know, um, Brittany Gilliam was with four minors, a six-year-old, which was her daughter, Um, a 12-year-old, which I believe was her sister, and a 14 and a 17-year-old, which I believe was her niece and nephew. I don't have the article right in front of me. But anyway, this made headline news because she was pulled over by the police. Um, All of them were taken out the car. Guns were drawn on her and these minors. And it just was a traumatic experience. If you see the pictures, you see that the kids are handcuffed. I think everybody was handcuffed except for the six-year-old. I couldn't tell by the pictures, but the six-year-old was up on the ground too. And it's just like, why? Why are y'all sitting up here patrolling us, profiling us so hard to the point now minors are being profiled and traumatized? Like, what are we doing right now? Why are we doing this? It just was too much. It was too much. It was too much. And she's named that the children are traumatized. And it is a traumatic event when cops just roll up on you with no explanation, pulling out guns, and you don't know what's going on. I have personal experience with that. When I was 12 years old, I've written about this in a newsletter before. You know, the cops straight up barged into our house with assault rifles drawn on me and my mother looking for somebody asking me for id at 12 no one don't know 12 year old have no school no no id all i had was a school id and had me pent up against the wall on one side of the living room my mama pent up against the wall on another side of the living room and searching the whole house and not giving no explanation why And it was a whole mess. And then they turned out that they had the wrong house. It was a mistaken identity. And they just, that was it. Like, bye, see you later. Thanks for traumatizing us. And we will just now go on our way. And that was Oakland Police Department. So I can only imagine how Brittany Gilliam and her children felt, um, her family felt, going through this situation, especially in these times, because I was 12, 
very long time ago. But nowadays in 2020, police pull you over, you know, you for real thanking God and praising Jesus for the fact that you able to drive off. So the level of trauma is just completely different now um, than when it happened when I was 12. And so my heart really went out to her and those children. Um, and then we have the sad news of John Lewis, um, passing away and all of y'all's president's foolery that went along with that, the continued disrespect for black folks, black lives and black accomplishments. It is just a hot mess and it is a disgrace to the American people that this person is supposedly leading the country. It's just, it's a hot mess. And then the final thing I wanna name in Welcome to Our World is just a little uplifting and brightening of our spirits. And that is Miss Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris, Lord, I'm sorry, saying her name wrong, which has also been a whole thing that's happening in the news with people just not respecting the fact that you need to pronounce names correctly. And yes, it is disrespectful when you don't correctly say someone's name, especially when you have been corrected. Okay. Anyway, this is an upside to welcome to our world because we have Kamala Harris on the ticket for the vice president of the United States though. Like, let me tell you, I was not excited about Joe Biden being on the ticket. I'm gonna just keep it real. I wasn't excited. Yes, I know he served with Obama. Yes, but Obama was his own man. There will never be another. And... I just, you know, Obama just stood on his own. And so, I mean, yes, Biden served with him, but it just, sometimes I just be like, mm, it's just a little too much of the white man stench coming from Joe Biden. But now that we got Kamala on the ticket, I am certain that she is going to do her, her due diligence and she go keep Biden in check when he needs to be kept in check because sometimes his white privilege might show, his white fragility might show. And that don't make him a bad person. That ain't a bad thing. You just got to know how to use your white privilege, how to manage it, and how to control your fragility when it shows up because it does show up, white people. Even if you think you woke, it show up in ways that you don't think it shows up that you be trying to pretend like that ain't whiteness and it's whiteness. But anyway... I am very, very, very excited about this. I'm so excited about this. And even, look, okay, I'm gonna get into the episode, but I just gotta say, when I listened to her speech, she, I don't know, I, I'm gonna just paraphrase it, but she basically said that Joe Biden served the first black president of the United States, and now he is running with the first black female vice president of the United States. I'm just, I'm just 150% juiced. I am not juiced though about how people are already trying to deem her as the angry black woman. Folks is calling her nasty and how mean she is. Mind you, okay, Donald, that you 
be the nastiest of them all, that you always got something to say, that you are so promoting hate, division, and segregation, don't even bring up nasty. I think somebody tweeted about that. Like, he bringing up nasty? Anyway, I am glad to be back with (laughs) y'all. I haven't recorded with y'all since July the 16th. So I felt like it was forever, but it was only four weeks that I was gone. Um, But I got some really, really, really good stuff coming up for y'all in the next weeks. So let's kind of get into it a little bit. Um, As y'all know, I'm revamping my podcast and it's going to be more black centered. And so that doesn't mean if you are not black that you don't need to listen to the podcast. You can continue to listen if you want to. It still can be for you. Um, But I think one thing that people need to be prepared for is I might just reduce some of the explanations um, and getting even more blunt than I already am. And I think the only warning I would give people that's not black is, you know, if you find yourself listening to what I'm saying and you feeling a little sensitive about something I said or feeling a little offended by something I said, then that's probably an indication that you have some work to do in that very area where you are sensitive and where you are feeling, um, you know, feeling a a little offended. So... Anywho, I am doing a series that is called Black Fathers Mattered. And you guessed it, today is the introductory episode. Um, You don't have to be black and you don't have to be a father to listen to today's episode or the upcoming series. As I always tell y'all, I'm sure you know a black person and I'm definitely sure you know a black father or you work with a black father. And so this is just good information for you to have. You know, that could have been a blooper, but I'm going to just keep it real. And we're going to keep moving with the Dodge Charger that loves to just zoom by my neighborhood. Anyway, (laughs) Um, so again, as I say, you don't have to be a black father. You don't have to be black to listen to this episode. It's just good cultural knowledge for you. Now, let me address that a little bit the baby elephant in the room. I know that I am supposed to be doing, you know, history repeating itself series when it's close to my newsletter coming out. And my newsletter is going to be still coming out this Friday. But for now, I changed my mind. And this is the series that we doing. And I have the right to change my mind because it's my podcast. Now, if you are really, really, really itching for me to do a podcast that complements the newsletter that's coming out on Friday, which will be part three of history repeating itself, then email me or DM me and I will probably do a bonus episode just for you. Um, Y'all know how to get a hold of me. Every way to connect with me is on my website, which is www.bloomintoyourbestself.com. Bloom is spelled just like it sounds. You bloom like a flower. So now that that is all out the way, let's um, actually, I'm going to take a quick, quick, quick commercial break, and then we are going to come back and I'm going to just kind of talk to you and break down and explain, um, what this, this series will look like for black fathers. So I'm gonna take a quick break and then I'll come back. Make sure you listen to all the commercials because that ain't changed. Y'all need to listen to and listen for that second black pioneer because Clara Brown did a whole lot. So you really want to hear what the second pioneer is doing because they did a whole lot too. 
I shall be right back. Hey, you guys, you already know what this section of the podcast is about. This is my business update where I update you all on what's new and going on in my business. Remember that you should always listen to this commercial in its entirety because I'm always updating things and this commercial is ever changing. Everything I'm about to share with you can be found in more detail on my website, www.bloomintoyourbestself.com. Many of you know I'm still working on my book, Understanding and Working Within the Issues in the Black Community. It's continuing to come along really, really well, and I'm so glad that I decided to slow down and take my time with the process. So keep your ears open for when that will be released. On October the 10th, I'm doing another online training and it is called Helping the African-American Community Cope with Trauma. Once again, you will receive three continuing education units if you're eligible. Registration is open now, so feel free to register. On November the 6th, that is when my cultural planner will be coming out. You can pre-order your planner on my website now under the Books and Products tab, and that's also where you'll find a description of this planner. And these are the updates for my business. Again, you can check out the details of what I just described on my website because one, if not all, of these offers will help you bloom into your best self. Right, so... In today's introduction episode on Black Fathers, I am going to um, break things down just so you guys understand what the series will be about. So I'm going to talk about three different areas. And so I want to first talk with y'all about what, what, um, like why I felt like it was important to cover this topic. Then I'm going to talk about what made me actually act on it and want to do it and cover the topic. And then I'm going to just let y'all know what you can expect throughout this series over the next couple of weeks. And so covering the first little area, why I thought it was important to cover this topic is I just feel like black men get such a bad rap when it comes to fatherhood and their role as fathers. And I do feel like that's because many of us in the black community, we are raised by single mothers where dads were just nowhere to be found and not in the picture whatsoever, me being one of those children. Um, But just because that's what's quote unquote common, that does not mean that there are not just as many decent, upstanding, amazing black fathers out there. And so I just I just feel like we need to really pay attention to the fact that not all of our black men are out there sleeping with women, getting them pregnant, and then abandoning the woman, the child, and their responsibility. I just feel like that's the picture that's being painted about black men. And that's really just not the truth in the template that we see. It's just not true. And that is coming from somebody who was raised by a single mother 
whose daddy ain't never been in the picture, barely. I mean, I can count on my hand how many times I didn't have interactions with my father. And I still just don't believe that that is the depiction and the truth of our black men. You know what I mean? I just, I don't believe it. There are so many black men out there that I personally know who are in their children's lives actively, who provide for their kids often, and who build special father and child bonds frequently with their children. And that is just something I really, really, really want to shed light on because I think it's important for people to know that Black men, Black fathers, they're important. Like, they are so important to our children. And a lot of times we just kind of glaze over that because of this messaging that we've been told, that we've seen. And I just want to shed some light on the fact that what we be seeing is not always true. Now, yes, it is some whole trifling deadbeat daddies out there that's black. Like, I ain't saying that they don't exist. But what I am saying is that there are a lot of black fathers who are doing the damn thing. And I want to make sure that that is, you know, I, I want some light to be shed on that. Hello. Yes, it's me again. I had to pause the podcast real quick to promote my newsletter subscription. Are you signed up to my newsletter? If so, thank you so much. If not, what are you waiting for? Go to my website, www.bloomintoyourbestself.com and sign up. Each month you get a cultural newsletter and each week you get a cultural tip and it's free. It's really no excuse for you not to be signed up to my newsletters, especially if you listen to the podcast. So go and sign up. All righty, let's get back to the podcast. And so what actually made me act on this and decide to actually do an actual podcast series and not just think about it or brainstorm about it or just talk about it randomly is I'm actually doing a series on black motherhood, um, which I'm actually in the process of editing and finalizing now and getting it all nice and pretty for you guys. And I thought it would just be nice to have a series to compliment the mothers because the truth of the matter is we could not be mothers without fathers and they couldn't be fathers without us. So why not? features segments that cover both perspectives. And so that's what made me actually act on it. Another thing that made me act on it is like I mentioned in my last episode before I took my little podcast uh, sabbatical is I do have male listeners and contrary to popular belief, I have a good little percentage, which means it's not just my husband listening to my podcast episodes. Um, and so all jokes aside, I'm sure some of these, the men out there, I'm sure either some of you guys are fathers or some of you may know a black father who could benefit from these episodes that I'm going to be rolling out. And so I just wanted to also cater to my male audience um, and hopefully my black male audience. And I often feel like black men get left out. And so that's another 
reason that I decided to actually act on this and do this podcast series and actually start with fathers as opposed to starting with mothers um, because I just feel like black men be getting left out. You know, y'all be getting singled out sometimes. And I did not want to contribute to that type of exclusion. Um, and then finally, I just felt like having black fathers on just adds to the direction of my podcast being focused on blackness, being focused on black excellence and being focused on black empowerment. So those are the reasons that I have decided to actually act on doing this podcast. And those are the reasons why I felt like it was important to do this podcast series. Um, So when I come back from this commercial break, I will talk with you guys about what you can actually expect from the fatherhood series. Um, and what you can expect over the next couple of weeks and kind of the things that I'm going to be covering. And, you know, then we'll be done with the episode. So go on here real quick and get you a drink of water, change your position, go to the restroom. You know how this go. And as always, listen to all the commercials because you never know what I'd be dropping in them commercial breaks. I shall be right back. Have you ever wanted to receive services that truly consider your culture first? I mean, like really considered your culture first, not in a surface or fluffy way, but in a very deep, rich and validating way. Well, look no further. My husband and I have finally put our brains together on how we can provide services that consider your culture first. At Culture First Family Therapy and Training Services, we offer an array of services that help people truly become more culturally aware. From the trainings and workshops we develop and offer, to the consultations we provide, to training our supervisees to use their cultural lens when providing services to people of color, we believe in putting culture first. Go check out our website and the services that we offer over at www.culturefirst with the number one.org. Again, that website is www.culturefirst.org. C-U-L-T-U-R-E, the number one, st.org. We are so excited about this and we just look forward to helping you embark on the journey of cultural awareness by learning how to put culture first. George Washington Bush born approximately 1790 and died in 1863. George W. Bush was an entrepreneur and an early American explorer of the Oregon Territory. He roamed the uncharted West as a fur trader and is also noted for organizing and leading the first colony of Americans to settle on the shores of Pugat Sound. He was born free in Pennsylvania about 1790. Little is known about his life before 1812, when he fought in the Battle of New Orleans under the command of Andrew Jackson. 
After his military stint, he worked for a French fur trader headquartered in St. Louis and later for the Hudson Bay Company, which took him on extended travels to the Pacific Coast in the 1820s. Upon his return, he bought a farm in 1831, married Isabella James, who was of German-American descent, and raised a family of five sons. During the spring of 1844, Bush and his family, along with a small group of white settlers, headed west. Bush carried more than $2,000 in silver and was the wealthiest man among them. Bush's previous knowledge of the West made him the most valuable member of the group. Several neighbors were able to join the wagon train because Bush personally purchased wagons, mule teams, and supplies for them. The westward journey was long and rugged. Bush advised the men, quote, boys, you are going through a hard country. You have guns and ammunition. Anything you see as big as a blackbird, kill it and eat it, end quote. His humanity, shrewd intelligence, and knowledge of the surrounding natives and elements had a great deal to do with the carrying the first American settlers through the many crises of famine and war along the way. They reached Oregon Territory in late fall, 1844. Ironically, the racial discrimination Bush thought he had escaped in Missouri was alive and functioning in Oregon. Oregon was admitted to the Union with a Black exclusion law, which forbade Blacks to settle in the area. However, Bush had made friends among the French Canadians and Indians on his previous trips west. Because of this friendship, he and his companions were allowed to cross the Columbia River into Canadian territory and settle where other American immigrants had been denied. Once settled in Puget Sound, Bush used his money to buy tools and supplies for the settlers. He staked his claim on a 640-acre plot and started a form which came to be known as, quote, Bush Prairie, end quote. His crops flourished and he became the main supplier of fruits, vegetables, and grains to the newcomers of the area. During the winter of 1852, the grain supply was low and prices skyrocketed. Many farmers sold their crops to speculators without regard for their less fortunate neighbors. Bush refused, saying, quote, I will keep my grain so my neighbor will have enough to live on. I do not intend to see them want for anything I can provide them with, end quote. He saved many lives during that winter of famine. Again, irony played a cruel trick. As the first American settler on Puget Sound, Bush's presence served as the basis of the United States' claim to the land of the 49th parallel, a boundary dispute between the United States and Britain. Bush's property was once again within Oregon territory. All he had worked for was in jeopardy. His white friends, whom he had refused to exploit, took a stand on his behalf. Collectively, they used their influence to position Congress to grant Bush a title to his land and their efforts proved fruitful in 1855 
only eight years before his death. George W. Bush died in 1863. His sons inherited his property and carried on the family tradition of excellent foreman skills and public service. They maintained the same high respect and goodwill of the settlement. One son raised a prize wheat crop, which was exhibited at the Smithsonian Institute in Washington, D.C. A second son, William Owen, served two terms in the Washington State House of Representatives. Alrighty, y'all. So I am back. So what can y'all expect throughout this series? So I am going to interview two black men. Correction. I have four black fathers who I have interviewed. When I pre-recorded this, I had two, but now I have, you know, two more to add to the excellent black father train. So just wanted to make that correction for y'all. You know, podcasts be pre-recorded. So when I had recorded this episode, I had two fathers and now I'm fortunate enough to have a total of four black fathers who will be featured on this series. All right, let's get back to the podcast who I feel are just excellent fathers. I am going to have them come on. I'm very honored for them to come on to the show and kind of share their experience as black fathers and kind of for them letting me ask them all kind of questions and be all up in their business about black fatherhood. And so I, like I said, I'm just going to have two um, black men who I just think are really, really good fathers come onto the show and bless y'all with some of their experiences. I'm going to be asking them a series of questions. Some of the questions will be similar and then some of the questions will be different. So I'm doing similar identical questions on purpose because I want my listeners to hear the exact same question that I've asked these fathers and different perspectives with the answers that um, I get. And it maybe the answers will be the same. Y'all gotta just listen to find out. But regardless, by me asking a set of identical questions, you, you get a plethora of information just by those questions being the same. And then the questions being different, is just from the simple fact that, you know, these are two black fathers who are in different stages of fatherhood. So the questions need to be different um, to be able to kind of go through or not go through, but to be able to kind of interview their perspective on fatherhood based off of the stage of fatherhood that they're in. So that's what you'll see. And hopefully by these series of questions, um, many people will be able to kind of relate to them being black fathers, whether, you know, you share this information with the black fathers that you know, whether you keep this in your cultural toolbox for the black fathers that you work with, the black fathers you might be friends with, um, it's just going to be helpful information with the questions that I ask them. And like I mentioned a few minutes ago, another thing you can expect is I'm interviewing these two men who are at different stages of fatherhood. And I think it's actually great for me to be interviewing two men on different spectrums of fatherhood because that helps to not generalize. 
um, the experience of fatherhood. And it's real, right? Like as a new mom, I am learning. And yes, I'm still a new mom. I know my child will be, you know, well, well, by the time I drop this episode, she'll be actually, she will be 17 months on the day I drop this episode. But that's besides the point. I still consider myself a new mom. Okay. I ain't been in this, this mom world, not even two years. So it's still a whole brand new adjustment. And I, but what I am learning while I'm over here digressing and getting off the point, what I'm learning (laughs) is we can't generalize parenthood experiences. And by not generalizing it, it makes it real because parenthood changes all the time and I am learning that it is always evolving it is always changing it is always rotating something is always different though now it's beautiful but sometimes it'd be a beautiful struggle child let me tell you but anyway the point is that is why I have these different stages um, of fatherhood on my show that I'm going to be interviewing. And um, why not have two men on here that are also evolving and growing at different stages of fatherhood, right? So that's what y'all can expect from the next two episodes. Um, And then I'll come back on after those two episodes air and I'll just give you guys a little explanation of the motherhood series, kind of similar to what I'm doing today. And then we're just going to ride the train of black parenthood. You know, we're going to do a couple of uh, episodes on motherhood and then we'll move on to some other stuff that I got planned for us on some blackness and just keeping it very real and candid with y'all. So I am looking forward to this series. I hope you guys are looking forward to it as well. Um, I want to reiterate again something I said in the beginning. You do not have to be black or a black father or a black mother or a parent to listen to these episodes. I am sure you know a black father. I'm sure you work with a black father. I'm sure you cool with a black father. I'm sure you maybe got a black father as a neighbor. I don't know, but I'm sure a black father has crossed your path. So you have to remember that these are tools that you can use to keep in your cultural toolbox so so that you don't be engaging in unnecessary cultural foolery, okay? And if you happen to be black and you happen to be a black father or just if you happen to be black and not a black father, you just need to listen to the episode just for the culture, okay? So that's my rant for today. Um, leave me a comment or a review or both and let me know what you thought of today's episode. As usual, you can always follow me on Instagram at bloom into your best self. Um, I'm pretty active on that social media platform. The cultural tidbit for today is to sign up for my newsletter. As you heard in the commercial, I have revamped my newsletter sign up. So go and sign up so that y'all can get Friday's cultural tips. Okay, so that is what I want y'all to do for your homework. 
And, you know, until the next time I come on here and drop another podcast episode for y'all, I really hope that you do something that will help you bloom into your best self. And I'm so excited for you to come back and join me so that you can walk another day in my culture.